In this true crime law and order podcast, the episodes are presented by two separate yet equally ridiculous individuals, one who researches the actual crime and the other who recaps the episode. These are their stories. Hi. Hey. Guess what? I can't guess. We ha- we've officially launched the podcast. I'm so excited. Because it is October 1st, and here we are. Here we are. We're here. We launched. I'm so, so, so excited for everyone to hear it. Yes. And we do have our social media accounts now, so you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ripped Headlines, just Ripped Headlines. And also you can always email us at rippedheadlinespod at gmail.com. And since we've officially launched, it would really help us out if you would rate us, review us, and subscribe to the podcast, download some episodes that'll help other people find us. Yes, exactly. And at this point, you've probably listened to three episodes already. And if you want content like that, because you know they're all so spectacular, you got to subscribe now. You got to subscribe now. Listen, you've made it this far. You're in for the long haul. You're invested. (laughs) We've got 20 some odd seasons of Law and Order and True Crime to talk about, so buckle up. Buckle up, bucko. Buttercup. (laughs) That's better. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you have anything you want to talk about before we start talking about the show? Um, I'm trying to think of anything sort of like in the world of true crime or or whatnot that we've we've watched recently. I've been watching The Tunnel on Amazon, which is not true crime, but it's it's good. I think I told you about it the other day. Yeah, you mentioned it, and I've I've seen the, the little thumbnail for it, but I, I I really didn't know anything about it before you you talked about it, and it sounds really interesting. Yeah, it's good. It's got some good acting. Uh, sometimes the plot gets a little convoluted and kind of like hard to believe it's real, which it's not. So you know. It's uh, scripted, but it's good. Yeah. I would recommend it if you're looking for something true crimey. <laughs> that definitely isn't true crime to watch. If you're looking for a crime TV show, I suppose. Definitely. The only true crime-esque thing I've been like watching has been Unsolved Mysteries, the reboot. Oh, yeah. I finished that a while back. It was pretty good. Yeah, I never started it. Into, I just started it recently. I skipped over the episode with the aliens because I was like, fuck this. I'm not. I That's oh, the one I thing. I love alien things. Oh, I just can't handle it. It's, I just think it's so <laughs> dumb. You know what it is about aliens is that, okay, hear me out before you completely shut down. I believe that aliens <laughs> exist. Okay. Uh, sure. But yes, I, I do don't too. believe, and I do believe that they've probably made contact with our solar system or, you know, whatever. I okay. think that they've probably seen Earth in some way, whether they've landed or sent something, whatever. But okay, if we're to believe that aliens are these advanced life forms that can travel to different solar systems and all of that, I would believe that they probably have the technology to shield themselves a little bit more than just a random dot in the sky or like coming to earth and being made by like, you know, Jennifer Smith just wandering around. It just doesn't make any sense that they would be so careless if they're Mm -hmm. so advanced. So Mm -hmm. I believe that they exist and maybe some of the like visions in the sky in the past have been true, but I don't know if I believe any of the actual encounter stories or crop circles or animal mutilation and all that kind of stuff. I still like to (laughs) like hear it and for fun, but okay. Thoughts? (laughs) Great. I mean, hey, whatever floats your boat. I, I, it's, I, it's just something like I just don't care to hear about it. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think I do agree. I think alien life probably exists out there. 
I don't think I don't think it's made it here personally. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it has, I don't believe it to have made it here in the way that like the TV shows like Unsolved <laughs> Mysteries would have us believe, where it's like, why this one random city in like South Carolina? Why? Exactly. It's never Los Angeles. It's never New York City. It doesn't make any sense. It no. just yeah. So yeah. So I think we're kind of on the same page. Great. As long as we can agree on that, we can agree on anything. Yeah, Do you we think don't Sasquatch is real? What about the Loch Ness monster? <laughs> uh Loch Ness monster probably not. Sasquatch not in the way we think it's real. But I'm sure there's a big animal we've just never seen. Probably. I mean, we're <laughs> discovering new animals all the time, so it would make sense that there's something big that we haven't seen. I discover new animals on my Facebook friends list sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Some beasts that you need to unfollow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Okay. I'm excited about this because I have no idea what the crime could be. And I'm trying to remember. So of the episodes we've done, Mm -hmm. the first one was my crime. (laughs) Yes. What was it? Your first one was the the prescription for death episode, which was the crime of uh, Libby. Libby Zion. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And then was yours, which was the that was Subway the, Vigilante. Yes, exactly. So that was uh, Troy Canty, James Ramsor, Barry Allen, Back, and Daryl Cabey. And then the third one was uh, Dr. Kevorkian. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to figure out, as I was watching this episode, what true crime it could be. Because this episode, I am the episode recapper, and you are the true crime recapper. And I could not, I couldn't guess it. It was really funny for a minute. I kind of thought it could be Ted Bundy, (laughs) but it was not. So it is not, uh, it is not. I could see that. I could see why because of the, yeah, well, we'll we'll get into it, but I could see why you could think it was Ted Bundy. I will say that, um, and for those of you out there who for some reason don't listen to podcasts episodically, which does not make sense to me, but I know you exist and you matter. (laughs) (laughs) but if you are listening to this podcast episode first um this is ripped from the headlines oh yeah welcome (laughs) welcome to our podcast my name is matt i'm n and we are a let's see what's the best way to describe um we figured this out oh yes yes so (laughs) so this is a fact and fiction podcast that takes a look at law and order episodes and the true crimes that inspired the show and so as n was saying um each episode we're gonna each episode of our podcast we're gonna switch on and off at who is going to be retelling the uh sort of plot of the episode of law and order that we're discussing we're in season one we're going to be following along our episodes will match up with the law and order seasons and then N this week will be, or or, I'm sorry, myself, I would be reviewing the actual true crime that inspired the episode afterwards. And so in the, uh, let's see, in an effort to keep it as exciting and fresh for both of us as it is for all of you, hopefully, we have been trying to uh, refrain from checking what true crime each other is doing. So N has no idea. And I I will say that if I had watched this episode before I reached, just checked really quick what the crime was based on, I would have not guessed it either. So great. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I like that surprise. I'm really, really excited to know what the crime is. Yeah. Because I'm it, glad you once, you didn't guess it because I know you know it. No, I really want to keep the surprise. But it's yeah. one it's one you think I'll know. Uh, you definitely know it. Okay, good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Should we get started? Yeah, let's get going. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> 
So this is, again, season one of the original Law and Order from 1990. And this is episode, technically it's episode five, but things got kind of out of order because the pilot ended up being episode six. So this is our episode four. Yes. And it is titled, Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die, Hmm. which... I Googled because I was like, that must be a reference to something. And so I it guess. is. Is it, it Georgie Porgy? What's Georgie Porgy? The the rhyme. Georgie Porgy, uh, something pie, kiss the girls and make them cry? No, that's not it. Okay. <laughs> that is totally a Dorsey rhyme. Okay. This <laughs> is, uh, it's a, a movie. It's a spoof of a James Bond film released in 1966. And the plot of it is quite uh, interesting. A Brazilian industrialist plans to sterilize the human race through the use of his satellite and to personally repopulate the planet with beautiful women he is kidnapped and holding in suspended animation. Oh my God. So there you go. Wow. Okay. Well, yours is a little different than mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So this episode starts out with uh, kind of the cameraman is in the back of a police car and you're seeing, you're overhearing a a conversation between basically two beat cops who are having the weirdest and most uncomfortable conversation you can imagine about their, his, one of them talking about his daughter and how she's still sucking her thumb. Oh yeah. It was just so creepy. I like it really, it was so funny. I, I I dislike a lot of things about this episode and they just started the tone right off with that. Cause there's a lot of weird sexism stuff (laughs) happening in this episode. Yeah. So we didn't even need that. We didn't need that (laughs) because we never see those cops again and they are in no way connected to the crime in this episode but basically they're driving down the street and then like you see a woman on the street walk up into her apartment going um is it called a walk up is that what that is what do you mean like the little outside the steps well she like takes the couple of steps like up to the apartment building and then goes inside and then has to walk up a bunch of flights of stairs is that Uh, what a walk up is i've never called it a walk up i've just called it like you know an apartment building yeah like the front porch and then the the stairs (laughs) I feel like when I watch shows that are set in New York City, they talk about walk-ups all the time. And Maybe. I just always interpreted that interpreted that to mean that it's a apartment building with no elevator. Oh, okay. That might be that might be what they're referred to as. I just uh I'm not a savvy, not street savvy. <laughs> Listen, you're my uh East Coast uh dictionary Wikipedia. I know. So. I, know. I would imagine a walk-up would be like the type of sort of uh, apartment building you see like in the Bronx or Brooklyn that would be they're all stacked up against each other sort of and like right. you said no no elevator they were built a long time ago and so it's just a stairwell. Kind of like the uh apartment building we saw in the last episode. Okay. Um I have a question. I feel sometimes like the East Coast lingo is really different. And so when you moved to California, did you feel like there was a bunch of terminology and phrases that you had never heard before? There were some that uh, I wouldn't say I never heard before, but they're definitely not as common. And there's a lot of things. It was more the opposite. Things I would say that people were like, what are you 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 saying? What are you talking about? And I'd be like, oh, okay, never mind. (laughs) Like Georgie Porgy, for example. <laughs> Georgie Porgy is not East Coast thing. It's just I'm old. <laughs> okay, great. So this woman walks up into her apartment, goes up the stairs, and um starts calling for, I'm assuming her roommate. She starts calling Paige. 
and she starts walking down the hallway, which I don't know if you noticed this, but the hallway from like ceiling to floor, all the length of the wall is just jammed full of picture frames. And it really reminded me like in the 80s and 90s, I feel like that was such a big thing to like have a hallway wall that was just like packed with picture frames. It 100% was a thing. And even in my dad's like house whenever i go to visit it's still the same way like there are just picture frames galore yeah down our hallway and down like the staircase going down there's like picture frames everywhere it's like a very very 90s thing it's so strange too like why it's it's almost like dear guests please walk down this hallway which is almost this weird like museum collection display of our family it's just such an odd thing it's like (laughs) exhibit a here's our we were actually just talking about this too because parents never of course consult with their children before they start putting pictures up oh no Um, and you know back in these days it wasn't you know digital photography so you got what you got when you developed your film yes the pictures that are up in my hallway at my dad's house of our family especially those of myself and my two older siblings the most like embarrassing facial hair phases weight phases <laughs> clothing choices you know my dad and stepmom just look like regular you know people and then me my brother and sister we if you want to know what year it is just take a look at any of us and it's just exactly it, you could just pinpoint it exactly I mean, it's really, it's the real world equivalent of like when you post a picture versus when somebody else tags you in a picture. Like they they always pick pick the one where they look really good and you look like a bridge troll. (laughs) Except those could be taken down from the internet. These, your parents are just like, get over it. (laughs) Yep. It's framed. It's up there. Deal with it. My family, actually, we had a, a, a... we we called it the ugly picture wall, and we intentionally <laughs> hung up pictures of each other that were like really really awful pictures. There, I, I distinctly remember there was one where my brother was convinced that he had learned this trick where um, he could get if you thought of a number, he could guess what that number was by counting the veins in your eye. And so, oh. <laughs> so we had this picture of my brother like clockwork oranging my mom's eye like wide open with his fingers <laughs> while he's trying to guess the number that she's thinking of. Oh my oh, God. God. Can I tell you one last thing before this like sidebar is totally off kilter? Yes. Um, we have at my dad's house, it's it's in the basement now, but it used to be fun- a functioning piece of furniture. He one day in my early teens created this... I think he was calling it a breakfast nook. Okay. My dad's very, very handy. He's very, very good at that kind of stuff. He's very, um, he could build things and fix things and all that. So he built this table that you would attach to the wall, essentially, and then it would fold out or fold down. And okay. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So when it was folded down, it looked like just two things against the wall, but then you could pull them up. And then, like, flip something out underneath it, and it became a table. Just don't yeah. put anything too heavy on it, I guess. Yeah. I anyway. feel like I've, I see that kind of thing in, like, um, RVs and stuff pretty often. Yes, yes. We <laughs> in all the RVs kind... that I go into, which... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's exactly I... the kind of thing, though. Like, what you see on TV shows and RVs yeah. and, like, campers. It's like, it's, you know, it's save like space. space. Saving. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he created this. We didn't really need it, but he thought it was, you know, it was very nice. Handy. But the idea yeah. is, is he shellacked the top of it or, like, uh-huh. st- you know, with a bunch of photos of us. Oh, no. So that every day when you're eating breakfast at this breakfast nook, you're just looking at photos of yourself underneath it. And of course, no one was told. No. And I'm sure you were not consulted on which pictures would be appropriate. There's a photo of me 
at age like nine in a New York Rangers uh, hockey t-shirt that is uh-huh. six sizes too big for my double XL body anyway. And I'm wearing a pipe cleaner halo that I constructed on my head just for fun that day, I guess. My uh-huh. hair is not washed or brushed. And this is the photo that is on uh, one of the photos of me that I will never forget that still is on this thing. And this wasn't like a Halloween day or a, a, like no. a weird dress up day at school or anything? No, I was at home on the couch. I probably had a pipe cleaner in my hand while I was watching TV and I just like was playing with it. Uh-huh. Um it probably could have been a, a big clue to yeah. my family about my uh, my surprise uh, coming out of the closet <laughs> many years later. But I mean, why is this? Why does this need to be a moment captured in time? Period. And then why does it need to be memorialized on a table? Thank God yeah. that's in the basement. Oh my God! Yeah, ugly photo table, ugly photo hallway. Anyway, so that was our little uh, brief uh, uh, journey into the 80s and 90s. Um, let's let's come back to yes. the episode of Law & Order. So this woman walks, you know, she's walking around calling for Paige, and then she walks into presumably Paige's room, and we see like a, a bed with maybe somebody in it, and she walks over. And she sees, like, her roommate's arm, like, hanging off the bed, and it's, like, twitching. And so then she pulls back the sheet, and there's this woman who, you know, we don't really see a lot of, like, injury to her, but she's making... <laughs> this is bad, because I know she's injured. I know, but she, I know, but I had the same reaction. She's making this weird, like, goldfish mouth thing, where she's just, like, opening her mouth like over and over like a goldfish does it's when it's looking for food. Very like I I was watching it with Davy and I was like this is very like trout mouth. <laughs> it's very trout mouth. It it is very strange. And I don't know what kind of injury makes you twitch like that. I like know. she's not like gasping for air. it's very strange. She, like I couldn't even at the end of the episode and even knowing the crime I have no idea what they're trying to depict. No idea. None at all. It's very confusing what has happened to her at this moment. It's bad. Whatever it is, it's bad. It's bad. And then we get the title sequence. And after the title sequence, we're in the hospital. She is on a breathing machine. And the doctor walks over to Logan, uh, Christopher Noth, and says, of course, I'm sure. And I hate this. He says, you know, with her, this is the doctor Mm -hmm. speaking about the woman who is clinging to life. You know, with her hair pulled back, she's not a bad-looking lady. <laughs> Why? No. Gross. Logan replies, hey, Doc, she's got a crushed larynx. And asks if she's going to live, and they're trying to wait to send her into surgery. And so Logan's next question, of course, is, is she a hooker? Which, <laughs> you know, is not terminology we would use these days. Correct. And uh, the doctor says, no, she's an East Side kid, which... Again, I don't really know New York, but I'm assuming that means like well-to-do, wealthy, from yeah. a good family. Think like, like where a, the housewives of New York hang out. Like that okay. is like the Upper the East, East side. side, like, you okay. know. Okay, great. Grievy says that the front door was locked, but the bedroom window was open to the fire escape and, quote, anybody could have climbed in. And so he asks the doctor if she was raped and says if she was, uh, the doctor replies, if she wasn't, whoever she was with had a hell of a way of showing affection. (laughs) Gross. Yeah. Uh, FYI, assaulting somebody in any form is not affection. Never. 
so then we cut back to her apartment and uh, they are interviewing her roommate. I think her name is Polly, maybe. The, uh, yeah, I forget. Yeah, everybody has very uh, like funny. Okay, yeah. <laughs> this whole episode is peppered with the worst acting I've ever seen in my life. Oh my god, Davy was saying the same. Th- I think one person was a breakout star, and the rest were garbage. <laughs> yes, this roommate is one of the worst. She is like Whoa. that middle school theater girl who affects a, a kind of like unidentifiable accent and says every line like it's uh, like has to be screamed at top volume and said to the and like speaking to the balcony. She's like always looking up at the corner of the room, like orating. It's so strange. She is the Rachel Berry. She is the Rachel Berry of this episode. Can I yes. just say, Davy said the same exact thing. Like when oh we were watching it, he was like, "This is like high school drama acting." Yes, when she was going, I was like, "It's yeah, it's bad. It's remarkably bad." Sorry to whoever this actor is. Yeah. May you have had a long and su- successful career. <laughs> so. She says that Paige is usually wearing these ratty flannel pajamas when she goes to bed, and uh, she wasn't wearing them. So, you know, something else must have been going on than her just going to sleep. And Grievy, of course, then asks, does she bring home a lot of guys? And the roommate says, she's not like that. She wants to get married. Because, you know, people definitely shouldn't sleep around if they want to get married. Right. Mutually exclusive, of course. Totally. much. Yeah. Super barf. Not at all sexist, of course. And then he, I just want to throw up at every line. He then asks her, all I'm asking is how much interviewing she did for Mr. Wright. Yeah. And then we get the classic Logan and Grievy thing to drive the story forward, which is they (laughs) disagree about the subject so that we as the audience are like seeing both sides of this debate over whether, you know, she was, you know, if she were promiscuous, if that meant she like deserved this somehow. Um, And then uh, the roommate kind of like directs them to uh, one of the two gyms that she goes to, which why do you need to go to? Why do you belong to two gyms? I like the only I don't understand. Maybe they're just trying to say, like, look, she's really rich. Like she's got a lot of money. That's the only thing I could think of because it's so irrelevant to the whole thing. It's so irrelevant. We did not need two gyms in this plot line. Mm -hmm. Because I can't even afford one gym right now. And so let's. Well, aren't they? they're Forget all still that. closed, I think. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, but if I could, <laughs> yeah. if I could go. So my next note, in all capitals, oh my God, we're actually on the set of Olivia Newton-John's physical. There is so much permed hair and scrunchies going on in this gym. Oh my God, I couldn't even, I couldn't wait. <laughs> I couldn't oh, wait to hear so what you were going to say about this. And they're interviewing this random woman who contributes nothing to the plot and Mm -hmm. uh doesn't give them any helpful information but she's kind of flirting with logan a little bit as she's doing like peck fly workout Uh and um you know she's like i'm in a strength or like toning and not strength or whatever it's stupid yeah um and after they leave grievy asks logan how many times would you go out with her before taking her to bed three four and logan says once what do you want? A bedtime story? I'd wait until the honeymoon. <laughs> I can't. It's no. like they, it, I, I almost felt like they were trying to show like a different co- kind of woman, quote unquote, with that woman at the gym. Yeah. Like, oh, a strong woman, a powerful, like, you know, she's at the gym. They're not talking to a dude, you yeah. know, and they do that thing where like she has to purposely be strong and stuff. And yeah. then they completely take it away the next scene. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How would you sleep with her? <laughs> 
And then they go to her second gym, which is actually not the Olivia Newton-John physical. This is straight up a Jane Fonda workout video. These people are like doing the like arm lunges in unison in the background. It's so good. I Where's love it. Richard Simmons? Where, honestly, Richard Simmons could have made a cameo in this episode and it would have been more interesting. Um, so from this woman, she is like, oh, why is it always the special ones? You know, she lived a nice, clean life as though, you know, a woman would deserve it if she didn't. Um, and we learned that she was also a volunteer in the pediatric ward of a hospital. And she was depressed for a while because she broke up with her boyfriend that she thought she was going to get married to. Um, but she seemed really happy lately because she had this new guy that she was seeing. And she always talked to Polly, her roommate, about him. Oh, no, Polly's not the roommate. Sorry, Polly's another waspy friend who could be interchangeable with the roommate. Yeah, definitely. Which one's Polly then? (laughs) Oh, I remember. I remember her. I remember her. Never mind, I remember her. I just have to read my notes that I wrote for this verbatim. (laughs) Polly, it turns out, is auditioning for a role on Dynasty in her silk shirt and perfectly coiffed hair. Again, speaking in that weird accent and speaking to the balcony. (laughs) Is she the redhead? Yes. Because that yes. is the breakout star I was talking about. Yes. Because let, let me tell you, the outfit, oh, when she was green, sitting that, down. That like mint satin shirt that she was wearing. And wasn't it like a, wasn't it like a business suit too? Or no, that was the other one. That was the other one. There's that was the other one in red. Woman. That was the one in yes. red. Yeah, yes. this one was like the theater. Oh my God. And she, I'm convinced that she um, like auditioned for this role as a brunette or a blonde. And then was like, you know what? No. Red. This girl's I want a redhead. To stand out. <laughs> and then she got to the set and everyone like rolled their eyes and they're like, oh, okay, whatever. She, just... looked, she looked good though. She was oh, really she beautiful. Looked great. She <laughs> yeah. looked like she was like, this is my big break. This yes, is it. This is sure. my big break. My red hair is going to make me stand out and this will make me a star. Mm-hmm. Let me speak to the balcony. <laughs> so Polly says Paige met a new guy who they were, who uh, through the conversation were meant to believe was kind of like rougher or maybe like not of their class level or something. And Polly says she didn't know his name, but she knows the spots they hung out, which I'm sorry, who has conversations with their friends about a person they're seeing and knows the places that you hang out at regularly with this person, but doesn't know their name? Like, what what did their, your friend just talk about them as, like, the guy I'm seeing? I, I don't know. You would use their name at some point. It just seems weird to me. 100% agree. Um, But she gives them some leads, and so they go to check out these bars. And um, in the first bar, they show the bartender a photo of Polly from the bed where she was attacked. (laughs) Which, no, I'm sorry, that doesn't happen. Like, emergency services doesn't show up to to find a person clinging to life and snap a bunch of photographs of them. They, like— take them to the hospital. So the fact that they had that Polaroid was fucking stupid to me. And that they're just walking around with it, showing it to random people. Right. How dehumanizing and insulting to be like, here's a woman who has been viciously assaulted. Let me show you a photo of her assault. Oh my God. (sighs) Um, And the bartender says, again, because everything in law and order has to be like a zinger. I saw her, but before the prize fight, (laughs) meaning like before she got beat up. Again, just so stupid. They're all, they're all swinging. Yes. Swinging hard. Swinging hard. And then he talks about the guy she was with who had a ponytail down to his shoulders. They had an argument. It was not their first. She wanted him to go, or he he wanted to go. She cried. She pouted for a minute, and then she stuck her tongue in his ear, and he put his arm around her, and they left. (sighs) 
And Grievy says, there's a lesson in this. Don't argue in front of bartenders. They listen. Which actually, I've seen like BuzzFeed lists of like bartenders and like the weirdest things they've overheard. And there are some good stories out there. I can't even imagine. So then they go to the next bar where they meet the man from the Monopoly board. Um, (laughs) Can I handle this? He, I don't know, was he, he definitely had some kind of eyewear on. I don't think it was a monocle, but it was like little round glasses and he just straight up looked like the Monopoly man to me. He really did. He was like the Monopoly man and Mr. Peanut had a kid. Thank you. I was going to say Mr. Peanut. That was my (laughs) original choice, but I was like, no, he's human. Got to go with the Monopoly man. Yeah, he's somewhere in that world. So he says, this thing doesn't usually happen to our kind of people. And Logan threatens to walk through the bar showing everybody the picture of Paige having been assaulted. And the Monopoly man says that she was there last night and a man did her did buy her a drink. And he was in a cashmere tie, Hermes blazer, and way up there in the looks department, a young Warren Beatty. And then Logan asks, are we your kind of people? And Monopoly Man says, you'd make it in the looks department, but your wardrobe needs a lot of help. I mean, number one, yeah, I I was like, that's shade. Yeah, (laughs) that's shade. And number two, he's not wrong. He could use a little help and he is. He's cute. He is cute. But number three, like this part of the show, this character, I really don't. I, I, f- I had to rewind it because I was like, who is this guy? Like, I Oh, yeah. He was like the the bouncer, not the bouncer, but like the maitre d' at the bar. Like, why would this guy be? It was just so. Sh- I found it very. I mean, I get it. Like, these are rich people. We get yeah. it. You're yeah. kind of. And he said, our kind of people. Our like kind of six people. times in, yeah. in the span of a minute. In a minute. <laughs> exactly. So they go back to the hospital to check on Paige, and we see the crying parents, and the doctor says she had bleeding on the brain that they couldn't stop, and she's gone. So Mm -hmm. now this is officially a murder investigation. Um, So they're back to the roommate who gives them the ponytail guy's name. Uh, We learn his name is Steve, and she gives him a a comic book that I guess Steve created called Cyberfunk, which Grievy says makes heavy metal look like Alice in Wonderland. And it just reminds me of like the the 80s and 90s, like satanic panic kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. Like, you know, I just remember when Marilyn Manson came out and everybody was like convinced that he was trying to, you know, get kids to worship the devil and all that kind of stuff. And it's just this very like moral panicky kind of stuff yeah my dad had us watching this um my dad's a pastor as you know and as many as everyone else knows now and he's very very religious and so he had us in our and when we were younger he was even like way more extreme because Mm -hmm. he was newly getting into it i guess and so he had us watching this vhs during like this time of satanic panic and everything it was called hell's bells Oh, no. Have you ever heard of it? No. I don't remember the full content of it, but I remember we had it on VHS, and I must have watched it a million times or, like, had to be subjected to it. (laughs) Um, But it was all about, like, um, how secular music and TV and media and all that kind of stuff was all, like, Uh of the devil and how it was. So, yeah, I remember this time period very Very well. well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... They go to Ponytail Steve's apartment, and he's, like, sweaty in a bathrobe as he answers the door. And as he opens the door, you hear a woman say off screen, who I swear, this must have been, like, the production assistant or something. Like, she, her acting skills are even worse than the other people we've seen so far. Um, because she says, Steve, keep me waiting, and I won't be interested. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> they walk into his apartment, and she sees the two cops, and she goes, oh, a foursome? 
And Steve says, they're cops. And she goes, oh, so much the better. So I don't know what they're trying to do with the storyline, but it's weird. Um, They interview him about Paige. He says he broke up with her on Sunday and he calls her an uptight wasp and he didn't want to see her anymore. And then they tell her Paige is dead. And he says, well, I was at dinner with Eleanor Phelps or Phipps. Um, So she's his alibi. And so now we cut to an interview with another uptight rich woman doing some bad (laughs) acting. Um, But her acting is better, I think, than the others we've seen so far. She's in like a red business suit kind of thing. Yes. And she has a great look, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. She looks great. I love this look. Um, It's very 90s business. Um, Mm -hmm. And she and Steve were at dinner with friends until nine. Okay. They had drinks at 930 and dinner at 11. What? Who eats dinner at 11? Vampires? This is like, I just don't understand. Like sometimes on TV, they're like, okay, pick you up for dinner at nine. I want to be getting ready for bed at nine. Dinner is at six. Yeah. Dinner for me is anywhere between five and seven. Like that's like the ideal time for dinner. Those are acceptable dinner hours. Yes. After seven's getting a little late. Like seven o'clock is is fine like for a cutoff and then like if we ate dinner like afterwards it would there would have to be some kind of reason like someone was working late or whatever it's, yeah it's always a caveat the the plan should never be dinner at nine nine like, well nine. no not even dinner at nine thirty. drink dinner drinks at nine thirty. dinner at 11 so oh goodbye who eats yeah, dinner at, who's even open to serve what kitchen is serving dinner at 11 but then again I mean, that's new york it's very different than here places okay outside of santa barbara or i don't know if we're saying where we live yeah, places outside fine. of our area places don't close at like 10 but still that's a late dinner yeah so they ask if steve stayed at her place all night and she says yes until about 3 30 in the morning which again that's not all night <laughs> so yeah I don't, I don't know. anyway and she doesn't say where he goes and we never come back to that doesn't matter So then we cut to the chief medical examiner, and he says that the tests that they ran on Paige showed that she had sex with two men in the same night. And as he, like, flaps a, like, a manila folder into their chest, he says, and DNA, unlike the morning news, doesn't lie. (laughs) Because everyone is trying to make this episode their big break. Yeah, they're like, we need a lot of, like, we need a lot of, like, fun quotes to use for, like, teaser episode yes yeah yeah we need we need every line to be like a bumper for like when we run the promo (laughs) for next week exactly so then we go back to um steve and they're like hey we found your dna when we tested dna samples in uh on page and he says okay like i did sleep with her that night but just to shut her up and grievy's like you should have told us and laughing at my own notes i can't wait the woman who had been there the last time who like the only clothes she's wearing this whole time this whole episode is a bed sheet wrapped around her that's all she ever wears this whole time yeah (laughs) my note says the woman who at this point is doing her best impression of sigourney weaver possessed by zool in ghostbusters (laughs) says what are you guys the sex police (laughs) it's remarkable I'm glad you like that one. It's, it is so heavy-handed. It's like, really... They told her, like, 
We have to know that you're a sexual being. Can yeah. you do that for us? Can you can you dial that up to like 14? Like don't even, not even 11. Keep it way up there. Yeah, she probably like had to be brought down. Like they probably started the scene and she was like completely nude on like a sex swing. And they're like, where probably. did that come from? We didn't <laughs> have that on set. I brought it. Okay, so they go back to the uh, rich bad actress lady's apartment. The one with the green silk dynasty outfit Mm. and are trying to get info on the other guy because steve has an alibi so they're trying to figure out if this other dna sample that they found is the person who attacked and killed Paige. she gives them a photo of the warren Beatty looking guy and tells them that his name is ned loomis and he dated Paige up until this spring she worshipped him, they were kind of engaged, but he came from a family that was rich but lost it all. And so he met another woman whose father owned most of New York, and he dumped Paige for this super rich woman. And apparently, Ned is also a pretty angry guy. They confirm with the Monopoly man that he, that this Warren Beatty kid, Ned, was the one with Paige. And a server who, um, have you ever watched Dairy Girls? No, I, I've, uh, it's on my list. I know, oh my God. I, I've never watched it though. It's so good. Uh, you have to have to watch it. It's so, so funny. Um, anyway, a woman. Uh, she looks like a, a woman from Dairy Girls. Uh, she says that she's not surprised Paige is dead because that Ned guy was a real asshole. Grievy and Logan uh, go and talk to Captain Cragen, who at this point in the series is really only there to tell them to do the next obvious thing. Because <laughs> yeah, I, they... I totally. Right? They tell him, here's all the info we have on... It's like they walk into his office and say, hey, we hear this. There's this other DNA sample. There's this other guy Paige was dating. Apparently, he's a real asshole, and he's violent sometimes. And he's like, okay, well, it sounds like you should go talk to Ned. As though that wasn't fucking obvious. Like, why was he even in this episode? He is just essentially a suspenders model. (laughs) Yes, very much so. (laughs) So they go and interview Ned, and he says that he saw her the night that she died, uh, but he's, oddly, he's, like, showing his apartment for sale, and the cops are, he's trying to be like, can we do this another time? I'm trying to sell my apartment. And they're like, Ned, your friend was murdered, and the buyers go, will that impact the price? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Ned asks if he's under arrest, and they're like, no, do you expect to be... Uh, But they call him down for an interview, and he accepts the request for the interview. And so then he's in the police station being interviewed. He's not being very cooperative. And his lawyer walks in and is basically implying that uh, if my client thinks he was in custody, like I'm going to file an appeal to make all of this testimony not possible or not admissible, I guess is the word. Thank you. And then we cut to Logan coming down the stairs, and he hears Ned punching the soda machine saying it saying, damn it, that little bitch, why couldn't she just leave me alone? I can't believe this is happening to me. So mm. they're, again, giving us these uh, real ham-fisted, he's got anger issues moments. So then it kind of shifts then to more of the order side, the the district attorneys. So EADA Stone and ADA Robinette are kind of concerned that this question of Ned having been in custody or not when he was uh, being interviewed could bungle the case. And Robinette says, no, he came voluntarily. He knew he was not in custody. And um, the judge calls him up and says that he's being charged with murder in the second degree. And he pleads not guilty. And the judge sets the bail at 50000 Then cut to the courthouse lobby. And a reporter who looks like Liza Minnelli trying to pretend she's not Liza Minnelli comes up to... (laughs) 
<laughs> comes up to ADA Robinette. Thank you. And he calls her Sally. I'm assuming just because she's wearing big Sally Jesse Raphael glasses. And has Sally Jesse Raphael hair, just in a different she color. She sure does. And uh, he asks S- Sally, how did you even hear about this? Like, how did you as a reporter get here so early? And she says, oh, I get messages from a filling in my back tooth. What What kind of world do people talk like this? They Nobody this, says like, things like that. Yeah, they they. In this show, I want I will say for a long time they always have this character. Um, oh, Sally, not her specific. I mean, oh. I mean, she might be recurring. I'm not sure, but they always have this type of character, and sometimes it's a recurring person, both okay. in Law and Order and SVU. Whereas, okay. like the like gumshoe sleuthy female, sort of like eccentric reporter who will do anything to get her story. You know, yes, like the kooky sort of like looks a little scattered, but you know. It always seems to be on, you know, at the scene first. Like, they always have that character. And they're always saying bizarre nonsense, like I'm getting a filling in my back tooth. Yes. So so they order a blood sample from Ned to see if it matches the other DNA they found. And it turns out it does. And so um, EADA Stone uh, orders ADA Robinette to dig further into his past. And then kind of outside of the uh, DA's office, there's a kerfuffle happening. Apparently, Paige's dad has shown up to the DA's office. He's really upset because the news is slut-shaming Paige because they've, like, released the information about two DNA samples. And so the news is, like, running with this kind of headline of her being promiscuous and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, you know, we're meant to believe, I think, that the defense is sort of, like, putting this information out there as a way to discredit her or you know, make it, make her less sympathetic, I think. Yeah. So, um, Robinette learns that when Ned was at Harvard, he was charged with assault and sexual assault, but the charges were dropped and he tries to interview the woman about it, but she refuses to talk to him and he pushes her for info. And she says that the night of the attack, he came to her apartment at 2 AM and he was drunk and upset and, oh, I'm sorry. He, then he goes and talks to the fiance and she says that he came home at 2 AM drunk and upset about his business going under and having to sell his apartment. And Robinette is like, he thinks that the fiance knows that she, that uh, Ned killed Paige. And so he learns, then the woman who like had kind of refused to talk to Robinette shows up a little bit later on. And she hadn't talked about this ever before because she thought it was her fault. And she had met Ned at a party years ago. He came back to her apartment and he wanted oral sex and she kind of like turned him down or said no. And he got angry and tried to force her and he choked her. And later on, she has like a scar on the front of her neck that I'm unclear how that is caused by choking. Yeah, I found that unusual as well. I don't know what they right? were insinuating. I was wondering if they were insinuating that like she was choked so badly she had to have an operation, but that is oh, not maybe. an operative scar either. It looks yeah. very like it looks like an injury scar. It's yeah, very like strange. someone it, rough roughly like slit what it looks her like. Throat, it looks yeah, like. it looks like her throat had been slit, not with like that a she had rough been choked. Yeah, like with yes. like a butter, not like a slit, like yeah yes it was it was very odd what Mm. we i i'm not sure what we were meant to take away from that i mean it's impactful but it doesn't make any sense yeah so they um convince the fiance to come in and that woman talks to the fiance and says ned loomis did this to me and shows her the scar so then the fiance agrees to testify and they put her on the stand and she tells the story again about how he arrived at 2 a.m in the morning 
and told her that he had hurt Paige, but said it was an accident. He told me she wanted to have kinky sex with him. He said he didn't want to because he was engaged. She dragged him into bed, and when he fought her off, he hurt her. And Stone asks if she considers Ned to be trustworthy, and she says no, uh, because the night it happened, he said nothing like this had ever happened before. And then she spoke to that woman who had told her about how Ned had choked her years and years ago and, and had, you know, injured her very badly. And so the defense objects uh, that, you know, this is sort of like based on hearsay. Um, the judge sustains the order and tells the jury to disregard that last statement by the fiance. But regardless, um, after three hours and 12 minutes, the jury comes back with a verdict of guilty of murder in the second degree. And Stone is relieved because it prevents him from hurting again, but it doesn't give, uh, it doesn't change the lives that he destroyed. And he looks at parent, Paige's parents, and the closing line he says is, justice doesn't give you grandchildren. As though, and that, again, is just another moment where I was like, fuck, like, her life means more than being able to have children. Like, why is it about that? Anyway, that made me mad. But, right, like, the parents are mourning the fact that they won't have grandchildren. They're right, not, not the that they that lost their child. Their child. Dead. Yeah. It was so, yeah, there was so much sexism in this episode. It was really, really difficult to watch without pausing. And gr literally, I would, like, go, like, ugh, and press pause to, like, take my notes about the awful, stupid things they were doing. I know. It's challenging because it was an episode that they're trying to sort of shine a spotlight on sexism in a way. Yes, but they didn't do a good job. No. Like, maybe at the time, maybe it was maybe. viewed as something that was like, oh, this was, you know showed us how things are going but yeah because they did try to do the debate with logan saying like you know she didn't deserve this even if she was sleeping around with a bunch of people blah blah yeah, blah and so, like he's clearly the one that they're trying to show is like oh what's wrong with having sex on the first date type thing right she didn't right. deserve it whereas grievy's more like oh, i don't know what's yeah. she doing you know he's so, like I the mean, they, more conservative one i think exactly like they they show both sides of the argument through them yeah. but yeah they don't do a great uh job of uh well you know you'll, yeah. you'll see what the real with the real crime but great job actually Thank i'm really you. i loved listening to you um tell the story back even though i just watched the episode yesterday too it's so it's still fresh in my mind but hearing the way you just described it um there was a part towards the end that i actually could see how someone might actually be able to guess the crime oh but there's just so much before the part you mentioned Okay. That, that just muddies it, but then okay. I get it now. Okay. Um, wow, great Should job. We? And let me tell you, all of those, um, I couldn't wait. When, I, when we started to see the cast of su the supporting cast, I was like, this is a gold mine. It's so good. It's so good. Um, are you ready to tell me what this was inspired by? I'm so, are you ready to hear it? I am. I hope so. I think so. Okay. So how should I present this? I mean, it's a spoiler, obviously, right away. But so this week's episode was inspired by the murder of Jennifer Levin. Okay. So that, that is sounds... that's me burying the lead because okay, <laughs> you know, you'll know it. Okay. 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 So, but I'm choosing to focus. I'm going to try. I'm going to make an effort to focus more on her the okay, victim thank you. than Good. the actual criminal perfect obviously the story is about the criminal so there'd be a fair amount of references but i'm gonna try to be more um focused on her because i had a hard time as you would imagine finding a lot of information about her life before the crime yeah and also interesting thing i read this on um on like a law and order like 
Wikipedia type, not Wikipedia, but like, you know, like a, a Law and Order wiki. Yeah. And it said that this episode is what either inspired or um, helped spin off Law and Order SVU. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I could kind of see that. Yeah. Because it's like the first like sort of sex crime. Yeah. You know? True. Um, so I don't know if, if that's uh, totally uh, accurate, but it was on the wiki. Okay. So my sources for this, I have... A bunch, but just a little bit from each. So um, Wikipedia, obviously, Murderpedia. There's an episode of an investigation discovery show called 1980s, The Deadliest Decade. And uh, I think they do one for the 90s, too. But this is season... Yeah, right? And it's funny because it's an ID show, and it's season one, episode two. Um, I didn't know what channel it was on because I watched it on YouTube. But then when I researched it, I was expecting a show from like the early 90s, and I was shocked that it was produced later on. Not great production, but quality but a lot of information in episode 13 of my favorite murder karen covers it and i re-listened to that episode 13 like way way early yeah there's a 2016 article from town and country magazine by elizabeth angle that i referenced and um, my favorite source was an article by someone named erica lynn huberty and it's from 2016 and she is actually a friend of the victim who grew up with her until she moved so any information i was able to gather about her before um like personal that Uh wasn't from the victim's mother was from this article okay um and i just briefly looked looked over an article on chillingcrimes.com and um yeah oh and i just today i I found it uh an episode of um some interviews some current interviews with some of those, you know, survivors from the crime. Okay. Okay. So, uh, there's also, I would recommend, I watched trailers to it, but I didn't want to pay for it. There's a six part <laughs> series on Sundance AMC. Um, one of those apps that uh-huh. came out last year, late last year. So it's brand new. Um, okay. and it's all about this case and it's, uh, wow. yeah, I, I wanted to get it, but it would have required me to pay for it or to like sign up for a free trial that i'll forget to cancel yeah so but it looks really good and i watched all the trailers and i wish i had had time to look into it so highly recommend there's that okay so this must be a big case then it was a big case it was a big case for sure so um i'm excited i know and there's a tv okay so there's a movie i won't say the movie name um, it's a made-for-TV movie that came out in 1989 because this case is from 1986. So there's okay. a made-for-TV drama on ABC that came out, and it stars Jennifer Levin is the victim of the crime, and she's played by Lara Flynn Boyle. Okay. And Donnie Aiello, forgive me if I'm saying his name wrong, he plays the detective, and William Baldwin plays the uh, the murderer, um, Robert Chambers. Have you okay. heard of Robert Chambers before? He's the, the criminal. He's your Lubin person. And fun fact, Sandra Bullock plays a very, very small part in this movie, evidently. And I, it's like one of her earliest roles. Yeah. yeah, And I looked up just to see like a still image of it. And I think it's the only scene she's in. And the article I read said like, she says like a a line. (laughs) (laughs) So it's 1986 and it's New York City. We have 18 year old Jennifer Levin. And she is part of this upper east side community and upper east side is basically like like we were saying like if you think of Ritzy. the housewives of new york and ramona's friends like the 50 best friends she has <laughs> the 50 they friends. are very upper east side okay like her friends specifically so it's this very well-to-do area and it's in the 80s when the term preppy is sort of going around like everyone knows oh, yeah. preppy now but the word prep like being a preppy kind of person is like a big thing yeah yeah like there's this like sort of it's a waspy sort of like 
thing to um look to to be like to emulate so like when you watched like saved by the bell the uh the episodes where they would go like to the beach with stacy carosi and her family and they were all like really fancy <laughs> dressed I in like resort wear. saved by the bell oh my god well stacy carosi's played by Leah remini <laughs> okay oh one. my god what yeah. she was Back on saved by the, the bell mm-hmm yeah, <gasps> I never knew. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so like it's this very like you know polo shirts, golfy looking people who always look like they're at a golf course or at a business meeting, or yeah. uh, in like like vacation. This is like the upper crust, what everyone's like uh, trying to be, even if they're not. Okay. She happens to be a part of this community, but uh, the the young group. Um, being 18 so she's a senior in high school i believe or just about to be and she's five seven ish 120 pounds very pretty she sort of looks like a young winona rider okay and um she's planning on going to college to become a fashion designer great um like i said i had a hard time finding lots of info on her but i have some opposing emotions on that too because it's like I, I don't want her whole life to be plastered all over the internet in the culture it is now. Like, her family and herself deserve some anonymity. Yeah. Sure. But at the same time, it's like, I hate that I search her name and the first our, the first thing is Robert Chambers comes up. Like, I search right. her name and Robert Chambers comes up as the right. result. And that's, yeah. like, just such a shame. Right. Because you don't want her life to be defined by this awful thing that happened to her. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, it, the way her childhood friend describes her in this article she says um that they grew up in the late 80s and the early 90s together and she was a quote troublemaker who on the whole made very little trouble um she describes her as good natured never mean um there were a lot of bullies this time and she was never one of them and she remembers memories of her in junior high in long island um where she was the one who would go on the on the outside and and uh, make anyone who was felt like they were on the outside feel included. She was sort of like that person that would go to the person who was sitting alone and be like, hey, what are you up to? You know, hey, what are you? Yeah. Um, She was very friendly. And in her early teens or her early high school years, she moved to Manhattan from Long Island to be with her dad instead of her, her parents had been uh, divorced. Uh And um, the person who wrote the article says, Although, you know, it was sad for her to go and everyone was sad to see her leave and she was surprised that she would leave her mom and sister behind because she loved them so much. Um, She knew that everyone hated where they lived and she was happy to be going to like this fancier area and becoming part of this Upper East Side society. Years after uh, after that move, the girl who wrote the article and her reconnected and she said she was warm as engaging as always. She looked more polished, but nothing had changed. Nothing. She's not jaded at all. Okay. Um, Robert Chambers, the other character in this, he is 19 years old at this time. He is athletic. I've seen pictures of him. Very handsome, um, very athletic build, very obviously strong guy. 6'3", mm-hmm. 220 pounds, and he's like well-to-do, classically handsome, popular, and um, a little bit more about Robert Chambers. In his past, he had had a string of problems with the law, um, not arrests, but just encounters for okay. drug use, dr- drug distribution possibly disorderly conduct nothing that seemed to sort of stick to him but he eventually goes off to bu uh, boston university and he's later asked to leave for his criminal misconduct while he's there as well as his bad grades okay he also spent some time in hazelden clinic where he checked in where he was checked in for cocaine use but he also checked himself out and on the night in question, we know that he had just been dumped by his girlfriend, Alex Cop in a public display where she threw a bag of condoms at him at a crowded bar. 
Okay. <laughs> and she you does go, not girl. dispute this, even to this day. I found a recent article or, she, or a recent interview with her where she's like, yep, um, I heard that he was um, stealing money and stealing things from people. And I, I had had it with him. I was at my wit's end and we were at a bar that all of us used to go to. And I threw, uh, I was holding my friend's purse. And in her purse, she had a bag of condoms that I knew about because she was going to sleep with her boyfriend for the first time. And I just threw it at him and said, if you, uh, if you, you're not going to be doing this with me, so do it with somebody else. And she's like, I threw the bag of condoms at him and it, it broke open in the bar and condoms went everywhere. And it was like super embarrassing. <laughs> was it like a, a water balloon filled with condoms? How does it explode everywhere? It was probably like one of those really cheap paper bags you get at like a deli that they were like, hey, you want a bag? And the girl had bought condoms and was embarrassed, you know, <laughs> had them oh, in this yeah, like yeah. cheap thin bag. So she threw it at him to make a display. Okay. So he's all pissed off at this bar and... The bar we're talking about is called uh, Dorian's Red Hand, and it is a bar that is really well known among the upper crust, especially uh. the youthful upper crust, and it is allegedly notorious for over-serving people and for not carding. This sounds so familiar now. Yeah. Um, okay. The people that they don't card are very specific because it's owned by, I think it said somewhere that it was owned by the father of one of the sort of like well-to-do kids, and kids, so- sure. All of everyone would go there and get served if they were like this preppy of kind of age. yeah. If, especially, yeah. but if they had to be like this preppy sort of person, yeah, you know, otherwise you're getting kicked out. So it's sort of known as like the place to go and drink if you're if you're filthy rich and you know no consequences, <laughs> right? So uh, the two of them are both there as well as the girl who just the ex girlfriend Alex Cap. So we've got Jennifer and um, Jennifer and Robert Chambers are. Speaking at the bar, they're seen talking to each other. It's not unusual because they had briefly dated previously. Um, there's not a lot okay. of information about what the nature of their previous relationship was online, but it seems like since there's not a lot of it and it wasn't brought up at the trial a lot, I would imagine it was pretty casual. Okay, so um, sorry, just to make sure I'm following. So Richard Chambers, the... Robert Chambers. Robert Chambers, sorry, the... Uh, 19-year-old, kind of yeah. Angry has flirted with the law before mm -hmm. just got broken up with. And now he's talking to this other woman, Jennifer Linda. Levin, Jennifer, Jennifer. Yes, Jennifer okay. Levin. He's talking to her at the bar. She's 18. He's 19. Uh, okay. she's still in high school and he is, you know, he just got, you know, dissed from BU, not less than a year ago. Did you just say dissed? Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> they dissed him hard. Okay. <laughs> um, Yes. So they are seen at the bar talking and then they leave and they go to Central Park, which isn't far, um, which isn't far away. Mm -hmm. And Central Park today is obviously a lot safer than it was in the 80s. And okay. in 1982, I found a stat that says there were over 700 robberies and nine murders reported in Central Park. For one year. Wow. Or 1982, rather. Yes. And this I mean, was, granted, it's a fucking giant park. Yeah. And this is the 80s in New York City when crime is insane and central yes. park is not monitored at night and so okay. it won't be till the mid 90s where the area becomes way more patrolled and considered more safe and it's because of cases like this that you know it happens so it's in central park that jennifer is last seen alive and the next morning her body is found by a bicyclist she's been strangled and she's covered in bruises bite marks and cuts and some of the cuts uh on her neck that they find were from her own fingernails as she tried to pry the hands of someone's off of her neck that's what the coroner says. So her clothes are torn at and pulled up. Um, her panties are 50 yards away. 
and it's reported that Chambers was watching them process the crime scene as it was Uh investigated from a nearby building. Okay. Watching them process the scene. Gross. Um, I saw this detail in three different articles, and Karen mentions it when she covers it in the My Favorite Murder episode, and I'm just shocked I couldn't find more information on this because it's mentioned all over the place. I feel like I might be able to guess this crime now, but I'm, I'm going to wait for a little more information. You'll, you'll get it really soon if you haven't already. So, so he's brought into the station pretty immediately because he's seen with her the night before by everybody at this bar. And the next day he's questioned at the station the next day after the crime, after they, they find the body and the same day they bring him in for, bring him in for questioning. And immediately there's very visible scratches on his face and it's a mm. red flag, but he says they're from a cat. One problem, okay. um, his cat is declawed. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, oops. <laughs> Unless he got attacked by some random cat. Right. He changed his story again to something else that falls through. Um, he changes it once more to say he he's telling the story of the night before, and he says, oh, yeah, uh, I was with Jennifer Levin at the bar, but she went to go get cigarettes, so I, I, that's the last time I saw her. And mm-hmm. then it's she doesn't smoke and had never had cigarettes on her, nothing. Right. So he finally comes up with his final story that he sticks to throughout the rest. And he says that he had seen her the night before. They were together the previous night, and he he left with her, and he accidentally hurt her while they were together in Central Park, um, but that okay. he didn't mean to kill her, and he was simply defending himself from her because she was sexually assaulting him. Okay. He says that the um, he's got a fracture on his hand. They don't know how bad it is yet, but he's got a bad hand. And he says that, oh, this uh, this was from an accident as well. And he says, here are some quotes from his interview because it's taped. So um, in his taped confession, he says that he said to her at the bar, or she said to him at the bar, Jennifer had approached him and said, you look really cute. You'd look better tied up. I would like to say that I, I, I'm, I am aware I'm a gay man and I'm not dating women. I don't think this is how women talk to men at bars. It doesn't Unless seem very likely. It's a little porny. Yeah. Sounds like something a guy would like a woman to say to it's him. It's very cheesy. It's also very cheesy. Yeah. Kind of reminds okay. me of something that woman would have said in the episode. <laughs> that yes, was wearing just very a sheet. Yes. Maybe that's where she was from. Maybe they just took her from this uh, line he said. So she cla- uh, he claims in the interview that she had uh, tied his hands with her underwear or with underwear. His hands were tied. In the be- middle of Central Park. Yes. In the middle of the night. Okay. In the middle of Central Park. She tied his hands up behind his back with underwear and got on top of him. And then she says, quote, she's having her way with me in the park without my consent with my hot hands tied behind my back. Um, okay. He says, quote, she was laughing and giggling and making giggling type sounds. And then he demonstrates uh, how how the assault happened. So he lays back on the on the table in the in the questioning room and he uh, says that he she had dug her nails into him. And by him, she's she means his crotch and that she was like kinky and she wanted rough sex. And so okay. she dug her nails into his crotch um, and she was giggling and he couldn't take it anymore. And so he wrestled an arm free that was tied behind his back. He Uh flips her over his head by his arm that he had wrestled free. And simultaneously, as he flips her over his head and leans back, he lands on his hand that's still behind his back from when it was tied with the underwear. He just hadn't released it from under his body. And so when he flips her over his head, he sort of lands on his own hand. And that's how he hurt his hand, which ended up being fractured across the knuckles. Okay. 
Um, and he says that after he flipped her over his head, he still thought she was fine. And he got, he got up, put his pants on, pulled his pants up and said to her, okay, let's go. Let's get out of here. And that's when he realized she was unconscious. And okay. he, he left her there because he was in such a state of shock. Sure. Leaves her there. Um, so essentially his claim is that she, you know, seduces him out of this bar, um, cause he was vulnerable from being broken up with and, um, he was humiliated and he was so, you know, emotional at this point that he went, okay. So <laughs> I, I just, where do we even begin? I, so yeah. this is a case of accidental death and self-defense. He, he knew her, he was a friend of hers, uh, from before and he would have never heard her. The the prosecution, the prosecution, (laughs) the prosecution, and I would argue the evidence say that he brought her to the park and intended to rape her. And when he was unable to sexually perform, he became angry and brutally killed her out of embarrassment and rage. And he was already embarrassed from and enraged from the breakup that happened very publicly that he took this with him. And when he couldn't perform, it just was too much for him. And he, it sounds like, also had been drinking and (laughs) he also maybe was also still using cocaine. Correct. He has a drug problem. He has had a drug problem documented. And uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. So the media almost immediately reports on this case as a lurid, tawdry sexual affair gone wrong. And the Uh tabloids absolutely cannot get enough of it. I'm sure. Yeah. It's the story of the upper crust, the wealthy having this secret wild sex party yes. sort of life and essentially quote unquote getting what they deserved, you know? And right, like, there's nothing more salacious than like high profile, super rich, super fancy, super uptight people being into like weird kinky shit. Exactly. And especially, to, and to be clear, I'm not kink shaming. Like that's like the narrative that drives those kinds of tabloids. Exactly. Everybody wants to know that people who are, who appear to be more well off than them are actually um not as as great as it seems people love to pull back the curtain and see the that their lives aren't as perfect as it looks like and you know that's what sells anything and so this is like and also this is the 90s and um i mean it's the late 80s actually so it's um the time when like preppies, as I was saying, was like this big thing. And to see yeah. people in this very sought after status, like mm-hmm. in failure, both the victim and the, um, the perp, the alleged perp, uh, it, it was huge. So they start beginning to call this the preppy murder. <laughs> and that is the name of the murder that I was burying earlier. Okay. So this is the preppy murder story. And is that what you're going to guess? No. Okay. So the minute you started talking about a like uh, 1980s uh, sexual assault in the middle of Central Park, I was thinking that this was the woman who the exonerated five were accused of having assaulted. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. No, it's it's not, but it's it's uh, it's named as one of the crimes that happened in Central Park in addition to that one that helped pass better legislation for um, patrol to be put in Central Park and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So it's like, it's always listed among that, that same case. Yes. So we have the preppy murders being put all over the news. And along with that, you know, he's, he's becoming famous. He's becoming a public figure because he's very handsome. And, you know, just like in the show, the Warren, young Warren Beatty and all this, it's, it's very spot on to sort of how he was being portrayed. Okay, so in addition to the, there's all these tabloid stories. There's a lot of people who are out there um, 
promoting justice for Jennifer campaigns, but mm-hmm. they're largely largely overshadowed by news reporting on Jennifer's alleged reputation. Um, and before booking, Chambers said to his father, quote, that fucking bitch, why didn't she leave me alone? <laughs> so just like from the episode. Yeah. To his father. <laughs> and, it, and it comes out. Yeah. So um, I was able to find a bunch of news broadcasts from the actual time when it broke. And so I watched a few of them just to see the sort of language and phrases that were used at the time. And so, yeah, all of the news coverage, it, it, it all seems to make her complicit in her own tragic murder. You know? Yeah. Every, yeah. every single thing I saw, even the ones that were trying to seem more fair and balanced— uh, the first news article, the first news broadcast I saw uh, was the anchor says, this is a debate over the rights of the defendant and the reputation of the victim. It's not. No. <laughs> it's not. Um, he's described as, quote, tall and handsome and he'd stand out anywhere. Quote, she led him to Central Park, forcing him into a sexual encounter that got rough. Uh, another quote, Chambers had been an altar boy and family friends included the Catholic Church. A victim of tragic circumstance, and uh, they often refer to Jennifer's Jennifer in these news reports as the body or the girl. Oh, gross. Okay. Yeah. And so they're making this all about like, let's not blame him for this. He's this like upstanding citizen who has a bright future ahead of him. Yes, and blah, even blah, blah. the cases that aren't trying to be uh, like, oh, don't blame him. They're still presenting all of his side. Up front. Right, because he's the one who can tell a story because yes. he's alive because he killed her. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so some of the headlines that are coming out in the newspaper at the time, in addition to all of this nonsense on the air, how Jennifer courted death. Another <sighs> headline. Chambers, quote, I was raped. Uh, she was having her way with me. This is my the one that it drives me crazy. This is put on the internet, put in the news a lot. And I'm only going to mention it once at this one part because I'm not going to be part of that. But it was said, Jennifer kept sex diary. Um, This alleged diary, by the way, which again, I'm only mentioning here, it was completely fabricated. It was an appointment book that had nothing sexual about it. It had her friends and like appointments, her friends, phone numbers and contacts in it and appointments. Right. It was Um, her calendar. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, a related burglary spree on the Upper East Side that he is also being accused from at the same time. Uh, hmm. He, the headlines for that one, he also says, "I was forced on to." Burg-. I was forced to commit robbery. Yeah, they don't go into why, but it's said many times throughout everything I watched and read that the burglaries that he's being uh, accused of on the Upper East Side, he claims he was forced into doing it by criminals. Does this guy think he can literally do anything as long as he says somebody else made him do it? You know, he does, and unfortunately for him, that is unfortunately the way it shakes out for a lot of people like him so so the the tv show while all this is happening he's you know he's um what's the word i'm looking for it's before booking i guess they booked him but it's before the trial and arraigned arraigned yeah i guess they've arraigned him they brought him in he's under arrest he's allowed to be out of by the way before he's taken into custody they give him two days to spend with his parents which the uh, prosecutor of the case said, I've never seen this happen in my entire career. This guy is is white, right? Of course he's white. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, like, no person of color would ever be treated that way. Of course. Yeah. And so 
there's a TV show called The Current Affair. I don't know if you remember it. I didn't watch it, but I remember the reference. It sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, it's like one of those 60 minutes C type yeah. things, but probably a little bit more torrid. Anyway, okay. it, um, it obtained a 40-minute video of Chambers from friends of his, and it was uh, aired in a two-part special, and it depicted Chambers at a party in December after the crime had taken place, but before the trial, obviously. And at one point in the video, he's seen sitting with his back to the camera, forcing or not facing some of uh, the female party goers and he's playing with a doll a female doll um Mm -hmm. and then he grins into the camera and twists the small doll's heads off what the fuck he also says into the camera my name is in like a really high-pitched voice and then he goes oops i think i've killed it uh both of its eyes are like and then he like sort of trails off and then oh. at another point in the video, he performs a game of charades by grabbing his neck in a tight grip around his throat and falling to the floor, pretending to be dead to depict death of a salesman. Um, so this is between when he killed her and the trial. Correct. Correct. Dude, like, where is your chill? <laughs> at a party. And it's his friends that bring this to them because they're so... And in the video, like, he's... It's a 40-minute video. These are the only clips I've seen. I've seen it a long time ago, but I actually couldn't find it now. I think I've seen yeah. it on one of those, like, top 10 lists of, like, creepy things. But he's holding the video camera in some of it. So it's not like he doesn't even know he's being filmed. He's, like, speaking right. to like the he... camera. Wow. So we cut to the trial, and he is like, being accused of two counts Which... of... Ooh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Even if he didn't intend to kill her, he is showing such disregard for the fact that she lost her life in that moment. Exactly. Because his so whole gross. claim is he's 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 accusing her of sexually assaulting him. Right. But he's not the language he's using and the way he's doing it is shaming her, but he's not Correct. portraying himself as though he's trying to shame her. He's saying, like, I knew her. I just didn't know she was into this, like, kinky shit, basically. And I didn't know it was going to go this far. And so it was totally an accident. And he's not, like, saying, like, I can't believe she did this to me. But do you know what I mean? Right, right, right. He's trying yes. to pretend like he has a good feeling about her still. He's not trying to sully her name. Yeah. But then he does this, and you could tell he has yeah. it totally contradicts the way he's acting right he's a fucking monster (laughs) totally yeah as if it wasn't clear already so the trial begins he's being accused of uh two counts of second degree murder charges and some burglary charges as well now i know you're a legal expert oh yeah yeah um murder too implies it's not premeditated right but it was like yes intentional in the moment intentional like with from what I understand, it's like with the intent to cause harm or kill, okay. Um, okay. but it wasn't premeditated. Okay. Yeah. Which is um, interesting because you could... Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> and I believe the... I only heard this once, but I believe that the original charges could have um, resulted in like 25 to life. Okay. So, so photos from both Jennifer and the murderer are far more graphic and gruesome than I had expected from hearing about this murder previously and only just now seeing some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think more of them are shown in the six part special on Sundance because the only um, images I've seen were in like trailers for that. Okay. But they show, I mean, it's so they show lacerations on his face and in my completely unexpert opinion, <laughs> they're consistent with the shape of a hand. It's very yeah. obviously the natural curved arch of fingered nails yeah. um, on his face. And they're very deep. 
Okay. And her neck. Which is not in- indicative of a, a cat. cat then. A declawed cat. No. Yeah. Not at all. And her neck is also extremely bruised and red and marked up. And the marks are extremely obvious that they're like lines across her neck, like yeah. finger marks. Yeah. Um, and it is very clear. I'm not an expert. I'm not a doctor. But it, this is an injury you get from like prolonged contact for a long period of time, not like a hit. You know what I mean? It's not a bruise. It's like red indented marks. He's, and I'm just looking at it obviously as a non-expert. So yeah. So he says he broke his hand again because it was behind him still when he landed on it. His bones would have had to been broken laterally, however, for that to be true. And they have an expert, a uh, doctor who specializes in hand surgery, and he says that his fractures were horizontal and it would be, quote unquote, impossible for this to have happened on accident in the way he described it or on accident at all. And that the mm-hmm. only way that this injury could have happened was from punching or striking a very hard surface with intentional force. And like the a skull? Yeah. He uses two examples and they're both areas of the skull. Yeah. And he says, quote unquote, it's a hit, it's a hard, wait. It's a dead-on closed fist injury, like no Hmm. question about it. Um, Anything regarding Chambers' criminal past or violent past were not allowed to be presented in court. They weren't even allowed to say that Jennifer's earrings had been stolen the night of the crime because it could have linked him to the burglary charges. And so a lot of evidence against who he was as a person is completely... Not allowed. No one knows about his cocaine habit. Nobody knows about his brushes with the law. Nobody knows that he screamed uh, to police at this bar only a couple of years prior. Stick. <laughs> uh, why don't you stick to trying to arrest the N-words? Oh, boy. So he's real charming. Yeah, he's a treat. So all of this is like on record, like public record, you know, not public record, but it's like in a police report, but they can't yeah. present it in court. I don't understand that. Like, I feel like when I when they said that on the TV show of like we can't use these previous charges against him, why the fuck not? I feel like that happens all the time. You would think, right? You would think, but if you have the right attorney and the right person yeah, in your I corner, guess. they can find whatever loopholes they can, and it's political yeah. and it's it's mm. it's a it's a total mess. You know, it yeah. the system obviously works sometimes, but it's just so uh tricky broken <laughs> yeah broken for sure and it's just like traps every yeah you know it's like a minefield so yeah all of this is, is left out of evidence and um according to jennifer's friend that i read the article pieces of the article earlier um she spoke to investigators when she heard about the death and she was told that quote in fact the nature of multiple wounds and evidence found for 25 feet around the crime scene proved her attempts at escaping a ferocious attack end quote yeah and she also said that when she spoke to the investigators um, she writes quote jen's reputation was dragged through the mud as chambers had dragged her across the knoll in central park that detail never made the news it was deemed too upsetting wow <sighs> unreal so the jury deliberates for nine days, but they're deadlocked. And so, wow. yeah, to, av- <laughs> uh, to avoid a mistrial, they come up with a plea deal of uh, first degree manslaughter. Which isn't manslaughter always implied to be accidental? I don't know. I don't know the difference between first degree manslaughter or second degree. Um, okay. I don't know. But that is what they agree upon. And this can hold a sentence of... I think up to 25 years, dependent on it, but the maximum that was uh, 
put out to him was 15 years. So he got a sentence of five to 15 years for both first degree manslaughter. And he was also, he also pled guilty to burglary in the second degree. So this is what he pleads guilty to. It's agreed upon um, by all parties. And the judge asks if he, uh, quote, if he intended to cause serious injury to Levin and thereby cause her death. And he responded, um, even though he's pleading guilty to first degree manslaughter, he's sheepish in his response. And he is barely audible, it says, as he says, quote, looking back on everything, I guess I have to say yes, uh, it breaks my heart. And then it kind of trails off. And the judge says, not good enough. And asked yeah. again, and same question. And he says, yes, your honor. Yeah. Pleads guilty to manslaughter, sentenced to five to 15 years in prison on March 22nd, 1988. And because of his horrendous, horrendous behavior in prison, he uh-huh. lasts the whole 15. Wow. When it says that, I read some sort of statement um, in one of these articles saying that like, uh, the majority of people who get man one and are sentenced to 15 years only la- only end up serving a fraction, very small fraction. Yeah, because I was just, sorry, while you were looking up that quote, I just quickly Googled m- murder versus manslaughter and, and manslaughter is always supposed to be unintentional. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, y- you would logically then would be able to deduce that people who go to prison for manslaughter are in many cases, people who had no intention of killing somebody and it, it happened anyway. And they would have like good reason to be like, you know, on good behavior because they're not people with rage issues who kill people intentionally. Right. They're, they're serving their time because they did something wrong. And yeah. even though they didn't mean to do it, they're still, they you still have to serve the time. But that doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to be punished on top of it. Right. Yes. But not, not in this case. So not good old Robert. Uh, Roger. <laughs> Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't like him, so I'm not remembering. Oh no, his he's name. a monster. Um, yeah. At sentencing, he said, "I never meant for any of this to happen, but her name will live on, if not through mem, uh, if not through memory, through her family and feelings." Which I don't know what that means. Yeah, um, I I listened to it too, and I listened to it twice, and that's what I heard. If I'm listeners, if you hear it and I'm saying feelings wrong, that's I swear I was like, is he saying friends? I don't know. But he says, I never meant for any of this to happen, but her name will live on, if not through memory, through her family and feelings. And I wish to apologize to her family and friends for any of the trouble they've gone through. Notice in that apology, there's no ownership. None. Zero. Never. Zero. Um, Ellen Levin, that's the mother of the victim, she said in a press conference uh, immediately following the verdict, I don't think we could have withstood another trial because they're asked a lot about why did you agree to the plea deal? Um, If you were going to go for man one, why did you try to get murder two? Like, you know, all this. Yeah. And so during the press conference, um, the DA expresses that he would not have accepted the plea without the family's support and that they just believed that they absolutely had enough evidence to do murder too but the way the trial was shaking out and the way the jury was deliberating they didn't want to risk a mistrial yeah and so they at least wanted to get him to have to say out loud that he admitted he killed her and it wasn't an accident and so two of the jurors are interviewed um on tv afterwards and they say that they believed he was guilty of murder they were comfortable with that but then after deliberating and deliberating the the 
the most they were comfortable or the least they were comfortable going down to was manslaughter one. And that's sort of like how they got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and three of the jurors were quote, uh, were said to have wanted out of deliberation so bad that they were like begging to get out by like the eighth or seventh day. One of them <laughs> was suffering from high blood pressure and couldn't get medication or uh, allegedly. Wow. Um, one was a fashion. <laughs> that doesn't design. seem right. Yeah. Right. Um, they, they brush over it really quick. in one of the documentaries, I didn't see that anywhere else, but they said like, you know, three of them were like desperate and that one, um, one person was a fashion designer who like the day after immediately took like a red eye to go to work in Europe. So these people wanted out, they all had things to do and they wanted out. And we all have heard, well, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of us have probably heard how jurors have been treated even till recently on like high profile cases. Um, so it's, it sounds like an incredibly stressful situation. And you can fully understand the family's position. Like these things take you know, months and months and months or years and years, years. and years. And yeah, it is, happened in 60, uh, it, what did I say? 86. And the, the sentencing was late 88. Right. And it doesn't allow you the time, the separation, the time that is necessary to like heal and process and move forward in life. And so I fully understand why the family was willing to accept a plea deal. Absolutely. Not to say either one of them would have been better or or worse but i understand why they would want to yeah the father um he says Stephen levin he says that he's satisfied at least to hear that him say out loud that he he did it on purpose and that it wasn't an accident but the, basically the two of them in addition to the stress of a trial they can't go through what their their daughter has been destroyed in the media as some sort of slut as some sort of um, yeah. person who's been sleeping around based purely on the on the uh, testimony of of the person of the person her. who killed her, there is no other evidence to support it. But the news media is digging into her life and was she drinking at this bar and why was she out? Was she a party girl and oh, what do all these preppies do and blah blah blah? And this poor guy has so much promise and he's so handsome and could anyone ever imagine? It was just like, how could you be a mother of a child who just died? it's such a transformative time in their life also like when they're on the cusp of leaving the house and going to college and starting their life and you're already having to i I can't even imagine what a mother or parent would have to deal with when they're already dealing with like you know the normal empty nest kind of stuff and now i guess yeah heartbreaking so but there's more there's more so he serves his 15 years and he's released on february 14th of 2003 okay so he gave an interview during his release uh, to 48 Hours, just one interview, where he stood by that this was an accident. He's taking criminal justice courses in prison. He wants to restart his life, put this all behind him. He was friends with Jennifer, and he, could have, he would have never done this on purpose, even though he pled to what he had to plead to. But in under two years of being arrested, uh, of being released, he is uh, arrested mm-hmm. in 2003 for uh heroin and cocaine possession okay um he gets a hundred day sentence and in 2007 he and his girlfriend uh are arrested selling drugs and resisting arrest and eventually he's charged with crimes in relation to him operating an illegal cocaine ring out of his apartment wow okay (laughs) yeah um he's sentenced to 19 years in prison for this and the earliest he will be out um, or eligible to be out is 2024, where he will be 38. And I think the latest he can get out, he would be in his 60s. Very big wait, difference. Wait, wait, wait. In 2024, he will be 38? Yes. I think so. How can that be right? Wait, let me see. 
Oh, wait, I did the math wrong. I did the math okay. from when the case happened. I'm so stupid. He'll be in his 60s. He'll be in his 60s. Okay, I was like, wait a minute. Was this person like 14? Like, I, so I know, confused. I was like, how is he 30? Yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah, because okay. he was okay. 19 when all this happened. And, in, the uh, 90, in the 80s, yeah. Okay, that makes much more sense. Okay. So he'll be in his 60s I believe when so. he gets out. My math could be wrong, okay. but I originally wrote 60s and then I changed it to 38 because I read it in an article and then I got confused. <laughs> <sighs> Wow. So yeah, I believe it's in his sixties. But it's twenty twenty four where he'll be eligible for um for release. For role. Um there's been a lot of sort of pop culture things that have come about uh based on this case. Uh yeah. the band Sonic Youth has had several songs on their nineteen eighty eight album, uh Daydream oh. Nation, that are said to be about the case. Okay. I don't know a lot about Sonic Youth, so I'm not going to reference them. Uh, the killers. <laughs> you don't want to sing me a little ditty? <laughs> no, because I don't know them. I, I could try to be cool and pretend <laughs> I know Sonic Youth. I just know who they are. I know and, who like, they are, too. I, I couldn't name a song if you offered me a million dollars, though. Maybe, maybe I've heard them. Um, the killers used the case to inspire their 2004 song, Jenny Was a Friend of Mine. And the title is in reference oh. to um, him saying that Jenny was a friend of his and that he could have never done something to her. Ugh. The film American Psycho. Have you ever seen that movie? I've never seen it. It's Christian Bale, right? Yeah. Or no, yeah. Uh, Patrick. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Christian Bale. It's a cl- really good movie. Okay. So the film American Psycho, um, the main character, he mentions in it that he is starting a defense fund for Robert Chambers because it's happening around the same time. And uh, it fits in line with the whole preppy, well-to-do. Um, yeah. The character of Patrick Bateman is, is you know, if you've seen the movie, you know. And I read a People article, People.com article, where it says that um, the bar had settled with Levin's parents in 2009 for an undisclosed oh, sum. Okay. Um, because they took them to court. For, for like, over-serving? Yeah, yeah. For okay. knowingly yeah. over-serving. The Levins then took Chambers to court, filing a wrongful death lawsuit. Um, he pleaded no con- no contest, and as a result, the Levins were rewarded $25 million. Wow. Yeah. Which, what family? Well, I guess if they're rich families, but I was going to say, who has? Like, I mean, if somebody suddenly slapped me with a $25 million lawsuit, I'd be like, good luck getting it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder... A, like you, like you just um, said, like they're really rich families, so I'm sure that they have a, a, a large amount of money. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if it's similarly to the last case I did for, for this podcast where they set the bail, or they set the amount so high so that it would set a precedent for future cases. Oh, I see. I wonder okay. if that's part of it, because this is also huh. targeting, in the case of um, Bernie Getz, like they were targeting high society people who can afford guns and who right. can afford to buy things out so they made the the amount so high so that it would bankrupt gotcha. them in the future so i wonder um that's speculation but the um the court also ordered that all money he receives including any in, or by he i mean robert chambers the court ordered that uh all the money that robert would receive including any income from any book or movie deals would go to the parents um in the future Okay. Which I think is great because that is like so so common. Oh, I mean, they all try, you know? So it's just so gross. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. If you murder somebody, you should not be able to make a penny. Is there something about that? Isn't there a law like you can't make money off of killing somebody? I think there is. I think it, (laughs) I I think it just depends. I think it just depends on if you're convicted or not. I think if you're not convicted of it, like, I think you stand to make money still, you know? Because wasn't there something about how, like, OJ Simpson, in theory, because he's passed the statute of limitations, could now release a book or a movie or something about all about how he killed Nicole? 
I think like, so, but he but, also, he had that book not too long ago that he tried to, not too long ago, like in the early 2000s that he tried to release. Do you remember that? No. Are you kidding me? Okay, wait, let no. me wrap this up and then I have to say this. Okay. Oh my God, I can't believe it. So yeah, so all proceeds would have to go to the family and Levin's mother, Ellen Levin, became a victim's right advocate afterwards and she helped to craft the language of over 13 legislative amendments, all of which have become law. I haven't found a lot about the specific amendments, so if anyone knows any of them out there, please let me know. But I know at least one of them had to do with not being able to bring up the sexual history of an assault victim when they're on trial, perpetrators on trial. The last quote I have from Ellen, uh, the victim's mother, is she says, He got more time in jail for selling drugs than he got for murdering my daughter, which is pretty amazing. And she also says he wasted two lives, referring to both Jennifer's and his own, because not only did he waste his whole life away in prison, the life he had to live afterwards, he wasted it by going down the path of drugs again and getting locked right back up. Yeah. And that is all I have on this tragic (sighs) case of the murder of Jennifer Levin. Wow. Good job. Thank you. What a awful story (laughs) what an awful awful story and now you could see like why so much of the sexism is rampant in the show because it's hard to tell like from watching the show early on which case they're going on other than the fact that it's a you know wealthy people and they're young yeah um but it was when you started talking about how he um how he was blaming her for the crime yes i guess like when more of that sort of part came out it was like oh okay this is a lot a lot more similar but Okay, to lighten it up just a second before we talk about anything else, the O.J. Simpson thing, in the early 2000s, he wrote a book and tried to release it called, and I might be getting the exact title wrong, but it's something to the effect of, I didn't do it, but if I did. It's called If I Did It, and they made the if really, really tiny, so it literally looks like I did it. Well, that's, okay, so that's a good detail that you noticed, because the original title was If I Did It, or... Like, again, I think it was, like, originally a longer title. And he also, at the same time as this book was scheduled to release, he had filmed, I think he had already filmed it, a 2020 special to promote it. Um, I remember seeing commercials for it on TV when it was supposed to be coming out, and I was shocked it was coming out. And then it got pulled um, before it got put out for obvious reasons. And the book got stopped. I don't remember how it got stopped. I don't remember what laws stopped it or whatnot. But I do know that the family of Ronald Goldman. Oh, is yeah. it Ronald? I'm saying the name wrong, aren't I? No, Ronald Goldman Ronald, and right? Nicole Simpson. Yeah. So the family of Ronald Goldman, who, of course, in the O.J. Simpson trial was completely sh- shadowed and his the poor guy's death completely in- ignored. Yeah. They got rights to it, I believe. And they um. were able to get rights to the book and they released it themselves they changed the title to have the if be as small as possible so it just looks like i did it and they have an amendment in the beginning of the book written by the family of the of um, ronald goldman and i think the whole book is now instead of what he expected to be something he was going to get a bunch of money for um it's actually like an expose of him basically confessing to a crime saying he's not confessing but it's him confessing to the crime yeah, they changed it to "If I Did It: colon, Confessions of the Killer." Yeah, how <laughs> awesome is that? <laughs> Good for them. Damn. I mean, like that is like the ultimate, like fuck you, fuck you. Not not the ultimate. Taking this, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, the ultimate is like you know, not having lost the precious life. Yes, but exactly. Of, it's about like taking whatever power you possibly can and pushing it yeah. as far as you can. You know, and I love yeah. that. Um, yeah. Wow. A lot. Gosh. A lot. A lot in this episode. That's a lot. Yeah. How have we kind of ended our other episodes? I forget. Just kind of 
I think we just kind of trailed off into nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we just dissolved into the ether yeah. <laughs> on the air. Well, great job telling that story. Thank you. And yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like things that could be, maybe we can ask people. Maybe that could be the thing we do in this episode. Like ask for okay. some suggestions. And then if we come up with something on our own, we can always <laughs> pretend it was a suggestion. <laughs> or we could just put it in, you know? Yeah. Okay. So listeners, if you have a really great idea for us of how to end these episodes on a slightly more positive note, we would be more than happy to hear them. Please either message us on Instagram or Twitter or send us an email at... Okay. So if you're going to send it to us on Twitter or Instagram, our account is uh, at Ripped Headlines. And if you're going to email it to us, our address is rippedheadlinespod at gmail.com. Yes. Please send us any sort of ideas you have. We we realized that uh, the topics we handle here are sensitive and they could be heavy. And, you know, no one wants to leave a heavy meal and feel <laughs> like, you know, bloated. <laughs> so yeah. we want to give you a little bit of a palate cleanser, too, to leave. So any ideas yeah. you have to kind of help. Help us help all of us <laughs> go us on with the rest you. of our days after we listen to this. Uh, yeah, let us know, help, please. Help us help you help us. <laughs> yeah, it's a, the big help. It's like the Nickelodeon, yeah. the big help all over again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, goodbye. Goodbye. Until next time. Bye.